in the Pattern Podcast. Make left traffic, clear for the option. Minneapolis departure, Archer 641, Charlie, Charlie, 2000, climbing 3000. Line up and wait, 7 range, Cormac Alpha. Mark Tower, 172, Romeo Hotel, 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 I'm John. I'm Chris. I'm Brad. And I'm Mark. And we are the In the Pattern Podcast. Welcome to episode 65 of the In the Pattern Podcast. This is Chris, and in the virtual hangar this evening, I've got the whole crew with us for a uh, for a nice evening of a uh, of podcast pleasure for your ears. <laughs> In the virtual hangar, I've got uh, John Conway coming to you from the East Coast. What's up, John? Hey, how's it going? Long time Good. here. I know, and we apologize for that, folks. We do apologize. Believe us, we've we've tried. You don't believe how many texts and <laughs> tweets and everything else we've been trying to get together for I don't know how long. Uh, it's uh, It's been a pain, but we're going to get our act together eventually one day. And uh, over on the West Coast, Mark, how you doing, bud? I am outstanding. How are you guys? Man, fantastic, fantastic. And uh, in that uh, in that uh, top center of the United States, Mr. Brad, how are you doing, sir? Doing all right. How come we only record when it's cold up here? It seems to be a trend. Yeah. What's that all about? I don't know. It's uh. It, it, it it's currently uh what november 29th as we record this and um it's been a few minutes since we've recorded last like i said we do apologize for that it uh we haven't seen cold down here in phoenix yet uh, as a matter of fact uh we were just out in california um last week and uh it was 93 94 a couple of the days which is in ridiculous. California or in Phoenix? In California. I don't know what it was in Phoenix, but that's what it was when we were out there. Yuck. Yeah. Weird. Very weird. Uh, I went back to uh, Missouri in October, and uh, the leaves weren't all the way changed. They were just kind of getting started, and uh, and that was uh, middle of October. But I'm sure they've all fallen for you. You've probably had some – You, I think I saw you said to that you had some uh, deer running through the property, huh? Yeah, we've had uh, we've got the deer wandering through and and just getting ready for the big chill, uh, which seems imminent. And of course, that means I've got to buy a new furnace. Maybe put oh. a damper on some of my flying for a little bit. I think I saw you uh, saw you mention something about uh, a guy was saying how he was amazed that it was still running. Yeah, I mean it's it's held up, but it's time is nigh. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the cost of home ownership, isn't it? It is. You know, you can you can live in your house, but you can't fly it. And I don't know. <laughs> there's some some joke in there. <laughs> yeah, there there there's uh, definitely uh, motorhomes, but not so many uh, uh, airplane homes. So, Spaceballs tells me otherwise. Well, yes, we're we're not quite to that decade yet. One day, one day. Uh, International Space Station, we've got that going for us. Now, there's an option. <laughs> you don't really fly that so much. No, not so much. They might argue with that, I don't know. 
So, anyways, speaking of flying, um, there uh, there's there's been some said flying going along, and this is a, a hangar talking uh, type of podcast, so we can go right into that. But first, I'd like to talk about net neutrality. What the hell's going on with that? Really? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't want to have to bring that up. I, I I think we're all on the same page where that where that goes. Anyways, it's it's been a while since we've uh since we've talked. Uh, this is a, a post Oshkosh, obviously a, a podcast. It's it's it uh, Oshkosh was yeah yeah way post. We haven't recorded since then and just not put it up. We just haven't recorded. Um, but since Oshkosh for me, I, I haven't got a lot of uh flying in. I've got some. Other things that was uh, in my way, and uh, that's been kind of a pain. But um, you know, some of us probably have uh, have got a little more flying in the others, and we'll, we'll get to that here in a little bit. A little bit. Um, we've probably some of us got some new toys, uh, some new flights, maybe some training flights. Winter flying's upon us. Uh, medicals, even to talk about. So yeah. you know. Brad, I was wondering with you, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier before uh, the uh, the podcast started recording. You were talking about how your uh, your your clubs uh, keeps buying nice aircraft. Have you got anything new in the hangar? Uh, nothing newer than the Saratoga that we got last December, but I've put more than 3,000 miles on it this year and almost all of that in one trip. You must feel right at home in that thing by now. It, it's getting It's getting easy. It's fun now to take the archers or the warriors out because there's just nothing to do. There's no gear. There's no prop to pull. There's no, you know, cow flaps and (laughs) any of that stuff. It's just, you take off and you're bored. (laughs) Well, that's nice. Well, I was wondering, you guys got all your planes with ADSB on them now? We do all the planes. We outfitted with links, L3 ADSB in out, receivers they have traffic they even have maps on them and they all uh since oshkosh they all link up with foreflight so they can give you adsb traffic and weather right on foreflight and in the saratoga it's linked to the lynx adsb solution on the aspen uh primary flight display so it will display traffic right on the hsi uh, which is really cool oh nice yeah, you and know, it actually, it displays weather on the HSI too. I forgot about that. Fantastic. Yeah, I think that Aspen's a, a fantastic product, especially for the price point. It is. It's it's going to be hard for it to compete at at that price point with the Garmin G5 because you can put two Garmin G5s in. They don't have the same capability as the Aspen, but they've got a lot, and they're half the cost. Wow. Yeah. I think uh I think overall um aviation related avionics and stuff is starting to starting to come down a little bit and with the um I don't know I don't know how to put this I guess with the uh, re- uh relaxed the rules. Yeah, there yeah. you go. That's exactly what I was going to say. How they've relaxed some of the rules on some of the stuff that was non-TSO'd before that they're allowing in. And they always start on the 172, right? It seems like okay, the we're going to popular airplane. Yeah. I guess guess so. Might as well put it on the most popular airplane out there and uh and 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 shoot for shoot for those guys first. I wonder if some of the more non-standard, non-common GA aircraft, certi- certificated GA aircraft ever get to see that type of thing. You know, I I know 
that you can get the G5 in a lot of different aircraft or the, the Garmin G5, which is yeah. their, you know, it's, it can be a, uh, an attitude indicator and they've got another one that is, uh, like an HSI. Mm-hmm. And I know that you can put those, <clears throat> excuse me, into a lot. I've seen them in all different kinds of planes. Um, Dynon's product, uh, they hasn't released yet. They're planning to release it in the 172 and the Baron. I don't remember exactly which model of Baron, but, uh, and that's their full primary flight display, um, MFD and autopilot. The whole setup is about 18 grand, uh, plus install. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you get to drop your entire vacuum system and, and all kinds of other stuff out of the plane. So you get a useful load boost, uh, and an incredible avionics. Yeah. With, uh, that's, that should be a lot more reliable. Right. Right. Everything is indicating that they're f- drastically more reliable and you don't have to do partial panel. You know, if the thing craps out, you're kind of, you've got uh backup attitude indicators, but, um, uh, yeah. backup attitude and, you know, some of the other critical indicators, airspeed, but, mm-hmm. um, um, but you don't, you don't ever have, you don't even have a vacuum pump anymore. Yeah. You can uh, pull that right the, from the plane. Yeah. Right. And that's one of the big, big failure points for instrument flyers. Mm-hmm. I'm real curious to see how that's going to affect the check ride. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause, uh, cause they, they, you know, they'll do that. Uh, okay. This, uh, your vacuum pump failed and then they'll put cards or whatever over top of those instruments. And right. You go yeah. partial panel. Well, it's uh, ahead, what, what my vacuum pump. Yeah. What do they do on a G1000 plane? Right. You know, put post-it they, notes over to certain areas of the screen. Yeah. They, you can <laughs> fail, <clears throat> excuse me. You can fail from the MFD, um, some of the instruments on the, on the PFD and then you go to the backups. Yeah. But, but at least they're there, right? You never have a double failure of the primary flight display is out and the backup attitude indicator is out. It's like, no, that's, that's why we have backup. Mm hmm. Cool. Well, yeah, man, 3,000 miles of flying. That's, uh, that's quite the haul. Uh, so happy for you there. At least, uh, someone's getting some time in the air. Um, John, you've had a little, little, uh, experience, uh, since Osh? In the air? Oh, yeah. I'm flying boatloads, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> been all over the place. Um, yeah. No, I haven't. Not so much. Uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, the only thing I've done is fly commercial. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had a little excursion actually getting out of Oshkosh. Uh, supposed to have like four layovers or some ridiculous thing. They ended up canceling one of them and then I ended up getting rerouted. And so I ended up. Uh, I had one layover after they canceled everything because it was like the second flight. I get the thing like, oh, your flight's been canceled. I was like, all right, here it goes. I'm going to be stuck in some random place. And then they just that, flew me from Chicago direct to San Diego and it was all good. But uh, I was man, say, right, I right I there's a, yeah, right. There's a use case for, 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 for general aviation, right? If only yeah. there was another way to get from place to place. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so will be this winter since American just announced that they messed up their scheduling and possibly... <laughs> Hey, well, that's okay. Pilots. They won't ever have that problem once they own the uh, air traffic control system. They, you know, that won't be a problem, I'm sure. And for our oh, listeners' yeah, sake, this is the winter of 2017 that we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It is November 29th. 
Yeah. Know? So I haven't, I haven't been up. Um, I was trying to get up and do my, um, cause I'm up for a flight review this year. So I was trying to get up and, and do that in September and then, uh, things are crazy and all that stuff. So I haven't gone up yet. I'm kind of planning out what I want to do. Cause I'm thinking I'm going to go do an open airplane checkout first. Oh, um, cause I can do that at my old airport just with another flight school there. So since I'm not, I'm not current at any flight school, I kind of have a little flexibility. So I think I'm going to go do that, do the checkout. And then I'm going to go down to freeway airport in Bowie, Maryland and do a checkout there afterwards. Um, probably in the 172, but they have a sky catcher too. That's like a decent price. And for mm. what I fly, that would actually probably work, but I don't know if I'll like it. So I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> It's worth giving a shot, you know. Try yeah, it. I mean, it's like a hundred bucks an hour. Like, yep, there you go. So my, my thing there is, I've got um, um, if I do the open airplane checkout, did you ever then, do that in the past? Yeah, I tried, and then it got all weird because I thought we I talked about that. The instructor, I couldn't get a hold of the instructor, and so I kind of had it, but then I didn't because I did my BFR with somebody else. I, it was weird. Uh, um, so that was two years ago. So now that I'm up again, um, I'm just going to go do it. I'm going to do it at Martin State. I'm doing it at 172. I know those planes. Um, I know the airport really well, so yeah. I'll probably do that. I'm just not sure when. And through open and airplane, then, you still got to do it annually instead of biannually. Yeah, yeah, I'll still do it annually, but it'll be easy up there. Um. But I, since I changed jobs just before Osh, um, I now work just outside of DC. So I actually drive by Freeway Airport. And Freeway was where I did my first 13 hours. So it'll be kind of weird going back there. Much smaller airport. It's like a 2,300 foot runway. Wow. I think it's like 40 foot wide or something like that. It's really small. You fly one of the approach for, I think it's 1.8, flies directly over the highway. Um, so that's always interesting. Um, 40 foot wide. It's a, it's a tiny little place. <laughs> um, but it'll be interesting going back there. So. I think the skinniest runway I've ever been on is 50. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. It's a, looks like a driveway from the air. <laughs> I know, right? From up there, it's just like, <laughs> man, is that a little skinny thing when I'm supposed to land on? Yeah. But yeah. it's like 10 minutes from my work, so I could just go there and... Oh, that's nice. You know, I could do like a midday thing, too. Catch it. Yeah. I, there's no BFR I've ever been in that's taken about an hour, hour and a half. They all seem to take about two and a half hours. Of course, there's the... there's the Including you know, ground or just in the, the air? There's, well, there, I was going to say on top of that, there's the ground part. But, well, the, I, 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 did my, I did my BFR... Um, last month in October and I, I, we put 1.6 on the plane. I mean, of course, you know, we're just having fun anyways, but yeah, 1.4, 1.4. Yeah. That's not bad. That's normal. I think a little over an hour is usually what ends up being for me at least. So cool. Cool. Um, so I got, I might do the, uh, I might, I'm not up for it technically because I still have a number of years left on my medical because I think I did it two years ago. Um, but I'm thinking about just doing the paperwork for basic med since mm-hmm. I, I'm, I have my primary coming up and just kind of just doing it, getting the process down. So I well, 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 we will talk about that shortly because I okay, did mine good. I'm and I, I did mine in October and I've got um, some things to discuss about said easier way to get your medical done. 
So. <laughs> okay then. <laughs> so I will table that for later, but that's on the agenda. So that's that's all I got. I haven't done much. Mark, uh, um, Mark, post Oshkosh. I know you weren't in Oshkosh. You were with us there in spirit. Um, we wish you were there this year. We were really hoping you were going to get down there, but uh, you weren't able to make it, and we understand. But uh, nope, couldn't make it this year. I had I had plans, and everything came crashing down around me. But uh, uh, since Osh, I've done uh, transition training to the Cirrus SR20. Um, I had to do a. I think it was a four-hour ground school. Yeah, we had a. It was a large class in the ground school, and then got scheduled to to do the uh, the actual, which actually coincided perfectly with me needing to do a BFR. So, the uh, co-owner of the flight school, um, who's a good friend of mine, um, actually took me. He wound up with me, and um, I've got. I, I'll preface this by saying that it. Flying the Cirrus is not new to me because, as we've talked about in previous episodes, um, my buddy Keith has had a SR20, a 22 turbo, and now he has a 22 um, with the Garmin system in it. But I've flown safety pilot with him, and we've done cross countries. So I'm very comfortable in that environment and very comfortable um, flying that. So um, Dennis knew that, Dennis being the co-owner of uh, Mach 5 Aviation. Uh, he knew that, so we went up and, and flew um, – we did a couple hours the first time and, uh, you know, he basically, we ran through all the basic stuff you do in a BFR, you know, the mm. steep turns and the, sure. he just wanted to see if I could handle the airplane and also basically make sure that I could fly and, and then know that I could, um, I could, uh, work the systems. Um, cause yeah. the, uh, the SR20 or the SR20 has, um, has the Avidine, um, glass panel system in it and this this version has the two the the pfd and the mfd and um and only has the the three backup gauges um but uh, i like i said i was very comfortable and i could work both uh both panels no problem so um switch through them and then it also has a pair of 430s um hopefully within the next couple of months um they're going to upgrade it to 530s with was um, so that'll be, that'll be nice. But, um, the, the owner in the meantime opted, which, um, well, I think we're talking about it in a future episode, but Chris got to see it firsthand and it got a fresh paint job and it went from being just a plain <laughs> white with some cheesy graphics on it, um, to a beautiful blue and white and gray, uh, and it's amazing paint scheme on it. Um, eventually we'll get some pictures posted somewhere <laughs> on the website or on the Facebook page or something. And, but um, anyway, since uh, since he did my BFR, sign me off um, to to satisfy the requirements as far as time. I needed to do one long cross country. Um, so Keith, uh, being the perfect safety pilot, uh, he and I flew down to a place called Harris Ranch, which which is down in the South Valley. Um, it's right along uh, Interstate Five, which is the main artery of, through California. I five actually goes from. Uh, the Mexican border all the way to the Canadian border. Uh, but anyway, along I-5 there is this place called Harris Ranch, which has uh, amazing steak and anything to do with beef, they have it. Um, and it's it's one of the few places in California that you can uh, you could fly in, have lunch or dinner, and then fly home. Um, so Keith and I did that, and that that's about a um, – I think that ends up being about a three-hour round trip. So, so that satisfied any kind of, you know, stretching the plane's legs, stretching my legs with the systems and, uh, 
I, I found out later that uh, that Dennis got a hold of Keith and asked him, you know, hey, how'd Mark do? And he's like, man, he, he did a great job. And um, he goes, I, I would have no no qualms about signing him off. So, and he's like, perfect. That's all I wanted to know. And he goes, I didn't really have any doubts, but uh, you just kind of confirmed all of my my feelings. And I I found out that I don't know a couple of weeks after the fact, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so. Um, Got signed off, and then uh, we had scheduled the, the next big trip. So um, that's pretty much all of the flying that I've done uh, since Osh up up to and including November. We'll say we'll say pre we'll say pre it'd be beginning of November, <laughs> and then gotcha. uh, <laughs> we have a we have More a big one to talk about that after that. But um, yeah, as far as as uh, post Osh flying that's that's all for me that's a gorgeous plane yeah I, I imagine the learning the systems of going from a steam gauge plane to uh to a fully you know glass panel plane is is got to be a lot of work learning the actually learning the emergency system the procedures and you know what happens if you have a panel failure you know how do you what do you do this and it's it's kind of uh it's a little bit of a challenge, but once you you do a little bit of reading, some studying, um, and then actually uh, the practical side of it, um, it it uh, I, I actually enjoy the glass panel. To be honest, it's it gives you you have so much information at your hands because this one has weather and terrain and everything. It's just it gives you such more of a sense of uh, what's what I'm looking for awareness around you. I mean, because it's also got uh, the TAWS system, so I've got traffic awareness, um, which nice. is basically ADSB, and yeah, um, it's so it's ADSB I, even when you're out of radar coverage. Exactly, exactly. So to have the TAWS is a huge security thing because there's some like um, some of the areas that I've flown into, it's pretty good traffic, and even though you've got flight following, they, they may be busy or you know whatever the case may be, or there could be a, a Piper Cub with nothing broadcasting. Um, not, not that that picks that up, but you know, if if they're if they've got a uh, uh, if they've got a transponder on, I'm going to see them. So, um, and that's a that, that, that's a bit of a comfort uh, factor to have, which I really liked. And uh, which uh, which glass system did you say that had? It has the Avidine. Okay. So it was the initial system that uh, that Sears put in their in their um, aircraft. Um, now the the much higher end ones have the uh, the I think it's the Integra the Garmin Integra system, um, which is basically a G one thousand. But but yeah, I mean I, I definitely agree. Flying the G one thousand, I mean it's I loved it. I I, I for th- through Civil Air Patrol I did the ground school for the for the G one thousand because our our squadron has a a two hundred six turbo G one thousand, and uh, to have the same exact thing. Um, when you've got that amount of information available at your hands and that much, you know, again, the TAWs and the, and the terrain and everything else is built into a G1000 system. It's, it's, it's something I think that it, if you could have it, I would say fly the plane that has that because it just, it makes you, I think, safer in the air, um, a little more secure. If, especially if you're in a, uh, an area where flight following drops off, that happens a lot in the Midwest mm. and here in, up in the, around the Sierras, we, we lose flight following all the time. Or, or, or around here where it's so busy, it's hard to get in sometimes. Correct. What, uh, so is uh, this, does this have the 200 horse IO 360 in it and the 20? The tw- it's a, 
It's 180. I think it's 180 horse, I, but it is an IO360. It's probably 200 horse if it's a fuel yep. injected version. It might be. So what was that? Work. What was that like? To, to tell us a little bit about uh, the difference, like in the pattern and getting it slowed down and all that stuff. That's so much different than what you're used to in like the it, Warrior and stuff. Absolutely. That's a, that was a massive thing. You have to really. You have to be ahead of the airplane. That's one thing for sure. And when you know that you're coming into the pattern, you need to, you know, when you're five, six miles out, you're already throttling back. It's kind of like Franz and the Mooney. You know, it's so slippery that, you know, you you need to throttle back, start getting your stuff together. You know, of course, you've already got your radios and everything ready to go, but it's it's the thinking ahead. It doesn't want to slow down. Um, Not not quickly, at least. Um, Even when you start, even with, you know, permanently hanging gear out this version that i'm flying actually has a lopresti uh wheel pants on it and they're super aerodynamic uh the the all the landing gear fairings super aerodynamic and even when you when you first put the uh the flaps down to 50 percent which are virtually over half the wing um it's it it kind of goes oh okay you want to slow down now maybe you know kind of thing or it takes its time to slow down um but <laughs> maybe we'll yeah, see. Yeah, exactly. So, but you have to plan ahead. It's, uh, but I tell you what, when you, when you get up to cruise, um, it's, it's such a cool feeling to look at your, look at your, uh, the panel and see that you've got a ground speed of a uh, 165 knots or a hundred and you know, 50 knots compared yeah. to when you're in the, a warrior or an archer or even the arrow, <laughs> you're, yeah. you know, anything above 130 and you're like, woohoo. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I must have a screaming tailwind, you know, kind of thing. But but uh, on this last big trip that we did, um, I, I was descending out of uh, out of uh, eight thousand five hundred feet down and towards my home airport. And uh, what we t- usually tend to do is just leave the throttle where it's at and just go ahead and put it in a five hundred foot per minute descent. And I had, uh, I think, I had probably a hundred and seventy knot ground speed at one point in time. Hmm. We were, and I was looking at that, going, oh. Crap! I'm like nine miles away. I need to slow down, so I had to throttle back and still let it descend. And you know, once I got down below 120 knots, then I can go down to my first notch of flaps or my 50% flaps and really start to slow things down. And um, it's just one of those things that you're not used to having to pre-plan for. It's a a Fadec type system, right? Where you don't have to mess with the propeller. Well, it's actually a linkage. It's not actually a FADEC. For this yeah. version, it's it's there's a linkage between the T handle. It's there. That's the power. But it also it's a uh, basically an exponential linkage. I believe that that controls the uh, the prop governor. So it's it's a weird thing to get used to because you make small adjustments on the uh, on your power. So like. The the trip that I just did, I it was in formation with Keith and his SR twenty two. Granted, his is much faster, um, but for me to make power changes to stay in formation with him, we did kind of a loose formation. We're probably I don't know fifty sixty feet of, of separation. We uh, I, I I would have to make a small change just because not only is it changing power, but it's also changing pitch of the prop. So you make a small change, small change. Oh, a little more this way, a little more that way. You know. So once I learned how to how I could bump it and how much or how little I could bump it, then it got it got easier. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a trip when you're not used to having that. Also, yeah, 
I like it. For it. I like it because it don't have to mess with the prop at all. <laughs> yeah. fly, flying the arrow, it's like, okay, hair on the power. Now I got to mess with the prop. Okay, now I got to mess with the prop. I got to mess with the power. And yeah, it's, just, it's all a little dance. Down. Yeah, it's it's easy <laughs> then now. You can it's start just messing with the mixture. Exactly. Yeah. Don't forget that. Exactly. So the only thing I have to worry about, and then they're like right next to each other, which is perfect in your hand. It's, you know, you could, you're watching your, uh, uh, MFD and you could switch to the engine page and I could sit there and just barely tap the, the mixture and just watch the, all the needles dance, basically all the cylinder head temps and the, uh, EGT, t- you know, and I could, I can finally adjust that. And it was so cool. <laughs> so it's been my dream plane for the longest time. And I think we started earlier talking about, you know, pick a dream plane or something. If you yeah. could, if you could afford one, what would you, what would you get? And without a doubt, if all I could was afford was an SR20, I, that would be the one because it it would fulfill every mission I think I could come up with. Um, it's it. I was at one point in time I was I think I was only uh, only burning like eight and a half gallons an hour. Um, yeah, and I'm doing a hundred and fifty over the ground. Hundred, you know. So it, you can't ask for anything better than that. You got you now. You have speed now. You've you've got economy. Um, it, you've got comfort. It's leather. You've got airbags in the shoulder harnesses. You've got the big parachute in the back, which is a brilliant thing to have at, you know, in case everything goes sideways. Um, uh, yeah, I, I can't, uh, if, if all I can say is that Clapmeyer did an amazing job. Yeah. <laughs> they, they built themselves a great little airplane. Um, and their their sales is proof of that. Absolutely, and if like, so, uh, that would be my vote uh, for a daily or you know whatever you want to call it. If I if I could afford a plane to buy one and own it myself, it would be an SR twenty or or twenty two partner so, in one. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, awesome. Well, I uh, I haven't done a, a lot of flying. Matter of fact, since Oshkosh, uh, my um, my medical ran out. And, um, so I wasn't even really legal to fly. So I didn't get my medical taken care of, nor my flight review. Well, um, till the same time, basically I, I'd flown in like March and then my next flight was October 15th. So that was, that was my longest gap ever of, of not flying, man. I, I missed the days back when, um, I was flying like at least about once every month, every month and a half or so, but, uh. It's uh, it's been quite a dry spell, but um, but yeah, I I uh, I was I was having a thyroid issue, and it was concerning me, and I didn't know whether or not to to do basic med or just to do the class three um, medical like I'd normally done. Uh, matter of fact, while I was Osh, while I was at Oshkosh, I went to that FAA tent and talked to a uh, the the FAA's uh, ophthalmologist who specializes with you know eyes obviously and that's that's the issue that I was having about um um about the beginning of the year I guess well let's see not the beginning of the year maybe around March um I started having an issue when I'd I'd wake up and I'd have this like overlap of a, vi- a vision, kind of like double vision, but not not like when you cross your eyes and things go left and right at the same time. They're overlap, top and bottom. 
And then if I waited, yeah, it's just weird, right? And then if I waited, uh, you know, a half hour to an hour, it eventually kind of correct itself. And I didn't know what it was. I couldn't figure it out. And um, <clears throat> I went to my eye doctor. And uh, they're like, oh, well, we can just put some uh, prism into your lens. And it will just basically redirect what your eye sees. And, uh, and then it will just, you know, even, uh, fix, up, fix up that, uh, that issue. I was like, okay. So they did that. And then um, my eye doctor, it's a husband and wife team, and uh, they're real, real sweet people. I love them. They're, they're great. I, I do some side work for them occasionally, and I've uh, been going to them for a long time. Anyways, the wife goes, goes Chris, have you, have you had your thyroid check recently? And I'm like, no, but as a matter of fact, like tomorrow I've got a physical scheduled. I haven't had a physical in several years. Uh, this will be my, uh, my uh, um, physical I get done once a decade. So um, I went in, I said, I got that scheduled. So I'm going in for that and I'm sure they'll do blood work. And so I mentioned it to, to my, uh, my, you know, doctor and had the blood work done and my thyroid, there's different markers, you know, in, in your blood work that they test for. And uh, in your thyroid, there's like the T3, the T4 and the TSH. Well, my number for the TSH was really, really low. That usually says that you have some form of hyperthyroidism. So they noticed that, and I mentioned the eye thing to my to my doctor, and he's like, "Oh, okay." Uh, he goes, "Well, we'll just keep you know, we'll just you know, keep an eye on it, and we'll check back." And and I'm like, "I hate that. I I I, I got to go do something more than that." So I went and actually made an appointment with an ophthalmologist then. And she looked at it and she's like, okay, well, we could just add some more prism to your lens. I go, no, 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 you don't understand. I said, uh, we're catching this very early on and I'm not doing a Band-Aid until my eye is like popping out of my head. And that is the reason why I have an overlap in my vision is because my left eye is literally coming out of my head slightly further than my right eye. So that's how that's how my um, my eye doctor's wife noticed it. She noticed that my left eye was open more. My eyelids were open more on my left than my right. So it was, it's literally coming out of my head slightly further. And so I said, we're not, I'm not doing the band-aid thing. I said, that's what, that's what doctors are great at. We'll just, we'll just, you know, we'll just keep an eye on it. We'll just do this. We'll just do that. We'll watch. I go, no, no, we're sorting this out before I come back to you with a bloody stump of an eye hanging on my cheek one day. So we're not doing that. Ew. I was pissed about it. Uh, <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah, uh, I know I was over exaggerating it, but uh, I I just I, I'm not, I've seen too many things you know happen to people where they're like oh well they knew about it but they didn't really do much about it you know I'm not I'm not going to be doing that so uh, I kind of blew her off I said well, we're not, I said my my eyeglasses are fine right now I've already got a prism in them of some degree and they can ramp that up and ramp that up and ramp it up um, as the progression gets worse so then. I made an appointment with an endocrinologist who specializes in in thyroid, of course. And so um, ran more blood tests, and they come back just like the other ones. And he's like, it's just so weird um, that all your other numbers are fine, but the TSH is off. It's just, it's like if this one's in this category, the other one's like way off in a different category. And it's odd that it's just affecting one eye. If you've ever seen anybody with with looks like they've got real bug eyes, 
they have a thyroid issue. That's what that is. So it's odd that it's just happening in one eye. It's, it's not real common. Um, you might have ever heard of Graves' disease. That sound familiar? Yeah, that's what uh, was it? Uh, um, I just had her name, Betty. Oh my gosh, I just forgot her name. Betty. Betty Davis. Oh, she's got Betty Davis eyes. Yeah, Betty Davis eyes. That's that's uh, Graves' disease. <laughs> um. So, anyways, uh, he's like, okay, well, I'm gonna put you on 2.5 milligrams of such and such medication. I'm like, okay. And so I've been on that for several months now. Went back recently, had more blood tests done, and now my my levels are within normal. And in the morning when I wake up, I don't have that double vision problem to the same degree. But anyways, because of that, I'm sorry I've went so long on this story, but that brings me back to the medical, right? So I know that certain people on certain drugs and then you end up having thousands of dollars worth of tests done just to prove that you're okay to fly. And it was kind of freaking me out, and I didn't know which way to go. I was like, well, I could just do the class 3 med and just not mention it. That would be unethical and possibly illegal. Uh, because on the documentation that you fill out for your class 3 medical, it asks you your history, of course. And exactly. when's, the last, when's the last time you've been to the doctor? What were you there for? What did you have done? Are you on any medication? And at the time, what, thing, what scared me was... I didn't know whether or not I'd be on this medication for life or was I going to be changing to a different medication or would I not be on this at all? I really didn't know. So I made, I made an appointment with my, um, with, with the doctor who I had the last class three medical with, uh, but then canceled it and then decided to go to my general doctor um, because he is already aware of it. But, He's never even heard of a class three, or he's never heard of a uh, uh, a basic med before. He's, you know, I was his first, so, um, so yeah, I I just I said scratch it. I'm just going to take my chances with uh, my regular doctor, and uh, and go through that way. So I chose basic med, and the nice thing about it, after it's all said and done, is I'm good for 48 months now. So I got that going for me. Um, but I wouldn't say by any stretch of the imagination, that it was easier than a class three medical. Because my last two class three medicals that I've had, uh, it, uh, and my only two, as a matter of fact, for that, for that matter, my only two I've ever had, my original one that I got before I was 40, and then one since then, um, consisted of, uh, um, how you doing? You feel okay? Yeah, everything good? And then they touch in your stomach a little bit. Okay, let me listen to you breathe. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, eye chart over there? Yeah, you can read that? All right, give me 80 bucks and get the hell out of my office. You know, that's about what my last my last two class three medicals has been. How about you guys? 80 bucks? I want to fly down to Phoenix. Really? Yeah, I think mine was yeah. about 130. Yeah, mine was a little more than that. Huh. I think that's what mine was. Mine was not that quick and easy, though. There, there is just nothing to them. Um, so I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe that um, aviation doctor, you know, is just, you know, like a puppy mill. I don't know. Just running people through. So, anyways, um, if you if you've cared to go to the um, basic med um, site and print off the documentation, 
and I don't have it here in front of me anymore, but it is a full-on physical plus some. Uh, a third of the way down the list of all the things that the doctor has to check on is anus. So that's always fun. It does say non-digital, though. Ew. Yeah, non-digital. <laughs> so, so that means no finger. Not that they don't use electronics. They just don't I was going to say they just do go. it analog. <laughs> yeah, analog. Analog anus. That, that, is, that, is that the uh, episode title? Analog anus? No, well, we should probably choose something else. Um, so, but there is a whole bunch. And, and I just had a physical from him in, it was, I guess it was probably March or something like that. So it had already been six months. Maybe it was April. It had been six months. So basically I had a whole nother phys- physical and then some to qualify for the basic med. And like I said, he had never done it before, but he wasn't opposed to it. And most doctors who do physicals and stuff have probably done physicals for uh, truck drivers. So if you have a commercial uh, driving license, you have to get a certain physical too. And those are way, way, way even more um, invasive and extensive than even this basic med is. So I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying that it was way over the top in comparison to what I've went through in the past. The good news is I did pass. Um, the ba- the doctor's like, okay, so we've covered all of this stuff. I sign here. He goes, where do I send this? I go, you don't. You just give it back to me. I go online and do this thing, and it, and it, and it I fill it out, and then I print off a little piece of paper that I keep with me, um, and it just says medical self-assessment. It's got my name, my certification number, my address, and has completed the FAA-approved basic online course on a certain date. And then I've got his paperwork that he filled out. But nothing goes back to the FAA. There's nowhere to send your basic med paperwork after it's all done to tell the FAA that you're good to go, which I thought was a little weird. But unless I did it wrong, I couldn't find anything. So we'll see how you do, Conway. Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, I mean, my last experience with a medical, it was in this office I never go to, and it was like an hour-long wait that I've never had in doctors <laughs> I go to now. And it was yeah. just more of a hassle for me to do it. So yeah. my primary, it's usually in and out pretty quickly, and, uh, and we'll see. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's an online um, schooling type thing that you do online videos that you watch and then a test at the end. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever, if you've did the, uh, um, the, the part, uh, what is it? Part one, what is it? The, uh, the one for uh drone flying. Is it part two of six? I, don't know, I forget. I that one yet. It was kind of the yeah. same thing where there's all these little videos going along. And then at the end there's a test. And so it, it, you got to do that deal. It's part one of seven. 107. Yeah. I should know. I took it. I just, I did too. Yeah. <laughs> Been there, done that. got the t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Got the, got the license. So that was, that was an experience. Um, I would do it again now that I know what I'm up against. And plus you get 48 months instead of 24 months. So I do like that. I, um, but I don't see, here's the one thing that I, do, I, I will say because of the list of things that they go through, I don't I don't know how how that would exactly get someone who wasn't able to pass a class 3 medical 
previously. Not that they had failed it, mind you, but they, they self-assessed themselves and said, man, if I go in for this class three medical, I'm not going to pass it. So I'm just going to not fly anymore or whatever. Right. So I don't know how that helps them get back into flying because all that stuff's going to be brought up again with your general doctor. And I, and he's not necessarily the one to say, I guess, yes or no, maybe that right, you're that's, fit. That's the key difference is that your, your GP can talk to you about that stuff. But, but you're still self, self-assessing. You're still self-assessing. You're still deciding whether or not you're okay to fly. Yeah. And, and I would say 90 odd, 90 some percent of the time, you know how you feel better than what that doctor knows based on your medical history. I mean, you may feel fine to fly, right? But because you have such and such condition, they're afraid to let you fly. Or because you're on such medica- certain medication, they're afraid to let you fly, so they won't let you do it. But you're like, eh, I'm good. I, so I can kind of see what, what the FA maybe is afraid of, and you might get some of these pilots out there that maybe shouldn't be flying on the medication that they're on. Or, or whatever. It, it's like the guy who's had, you know, too, too many drinks and he's like, eh, I'm good and I'm not going that far. I'll, I'll just take my chances. So I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not against it. Uh, I'm just, I'm just trying to sort out how, how many more people are going to uh, get back into flying because of it. And I guess maybe we're going to get back the people I don't want to say that shouldn't be flying because they do have a medical condition. I'll just leave it at that. I, I think you get my point. So, so what was funny is that a, a, a few days, I think it was the day after that I went and went and did my, uh, my BFR. So that was uh, October, was it 15th or something like that? And that was the, the first time I'd been in a plane since March, yeah, October 15th. And, I went to a whole different flight school, one that I'd been to in the past years ago before I started going to Angel Aviation and written their 172s. But they had raised the price of their 172s from, well, when I started, they were, I think they were 90 an hour or maybe 100 an hour, maybe something like that. And then they got to like 120, 110 to 120. And now they're 135. <laughs> Gosh, that's so, a lot of money for a 172. Yeah, I, that sounds cheap. I yeah, right. Uh, that sounds normal to you, right, John? Is that? Yeah, I, I'm up to 150 for an SP, and I think the the P model is still close to that, like 140. Hmm. Yeah, the P is the P is what uh, what they typically have always had. They always buy. They have they had three or four of the P models, but. Um, uh, the, one thing I gotta say is that they're metic- meticulously maintained. Uh, when you open up the seats, uh, open up the door to any one of them, um, everything's clean. The seat belts are folded and clipped nicely across the seats. They're not just like however the last person left them, which is how everyone leaves them. That's that's worth twenty five dollars an hour. You know that's. They do keep them nice. Uh, all the avionics have been upgraded in them. They got the ADSB. They've got a 530 in them, so that's nice. But uh, I'm I'm poor and I'm cheap, so I I went back to uh, Aerosim Aviation and and back down to 120 dollars an hour. And uh, and their planes are fine are, are fine too. They're just, they're fine. Uh, I got no problem with them. But uh, so I went down there and and got checked out in another plane and did my BFR 
1.4 hours. Had 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 fun. New instructor. Um, did our did our all the normal you know air maneuvers and whatnot, and had a good time. And then uh, an hour or so's worth of uh, of ground school. So after that, I was all good and and back to back to able to bore holes in the sky with friends. So looking forward to that. As a matter of fact. Uh, it reminds me, I need to check to see if the plane's available for Saturday because it's the first Saturday of the month, and I haven't done it this year. But uh, we, they have the uh, the uh, monthly fly-ins down to Coolidge uh, for the pancake breakfasts, and there's usually a hundred plus you know pilots that go fly into that, so that's a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brad, tell us about some of uh, your flying adventures since you were just talking. What uh, I mean, jeez. Yeah, well, and it, I, I didn't fly into Oshkosh. Yeah, um, a little different. And so we we decided at the last second that uh, hauling all of the gear. I had this. I had the Saratoga reserved, and we decided at the last second that hauling all of the gear that the Saratoga could hold, um, and getting it from. Uh, the North 40 to Camp Bacon was just going to be too much of a hassle. Uh, so we decided to drive and, and actually didn't really regret it. It's, it does take quite a bit longer, but it's pretty countryside and it makes getting around easier once we're, once we're there at the field. So I, I don't know if we'll continue to do that or not. Uh, certainly I've had a lot of fun flying in, but I can certainly see, uh, I can appreciate the convenience of driving. Aiden liked it. Yeah, he sure did. <laughs> and Brad, Brad, had, Brad had a little trailer and Aiden's quad on the back of it, so he was he was ripping through uh, the campsite area on his little quad uh, every day. That was cool. Yeah, yeah, and it turns out that you're supposed to be of legal driving age, and Aiden was yeah. just a little bit short of that. But <laughs> yeah, you got to be a legal. You have to be what uh, I guess 16, I imagine. But yeah, whatever but I think it is. Next year he'll probably pass for 16 because. He's putting on four inches every couple of months, it seems like. So he'll probably be good for him. Probably be taller than I am, and you know, yeah. As long as he keeps the full face helmet on, I think he'll be fine. <laughs> yep, safety first. Safety first, and and yeah. Um, so that was a little bit of less aviation, less directly aviation related, but. I did spend a lot of the summer planning a trip uh, to visit my brother in Vancouver Island uh, off of the coast of Vancouver in uh, Canada. In the, so it's an island out in the, in the Pacific, uh, not terribly far out in the Pacific, but, but probably 80, 90 miles off of the coast of Vancouver. Uh, and it's by far the the largest the longest trip that i've ever dealt with and it had a lot of complexity to it and so spent i don't even want to know how much time uh putting it all together and and making sure that we had all of the i's dotted and t's crossed and there was customs and and all of that stuff um and then finally uh in the latter half of august uh, had the chance to execute the trip and had a had a great experience all the way around. We um, we left a day early just to avoid some some really horrendous weather that was due to come into the Twin Cities area, which is super rare for August. 
Uh, we generally, August is just kind of hot and dry um, and high pressure. And it wasn't going to be uh, on the 19th. So we decided to leave a day early on the 18th and headed out uh, for North Dakota, uh, to which is where we had our first stop. Um, we did run into weather on the way there. So uh, we were IFR and had to do a bunch of deviations to stay away from the bright spots on the radar. But it was actually perfectly smooth. And ADSB was a huge help in helping us understand what the weather was going to look like inside of the clouds. Uh, and so we steered away from that. And, and along with everybody else, the airlines were all deviating and uh, ATC was super easy to work with. And we're just like, hey, you know, there's like nobody in your sector. So you can go pretty much wherever you want. Um, just let us know. And so I'm like, okay, I need 15 right, you know, and they're like, okay, turn one five degrees right. And we kept motoring along and kind of worked our way around a cell and stopped in the little town of Stanley, uh, North Dakota for, uh, to pick up fuel. We didn't have enough fuel to make it all the way to our first, uh, intermediate stayover stop. And so Stanley had cheap fuel and it was kind of the, the best spot that we could get to. Um, shot an approach in, but it was really easy. The, I think the bases were over 1500 feet. So it was a, a super easy approach into there and then spent 45 minutes working with my credit card company, explaining them why I was buying $400 worth of gasoline. Um, and it probably wasn't 400, but it was over <laughs> north of $200. And they, they were like, yeah, no, right. you don't understand. Like, Two hours ago, you were in Minnesota, and now you're buying <laughs> hundreds of dollars worth of gasoline in, in some place in North Dakota that's like 400 miles away. You're like, yeah, airplanes, aren't they great? <laughs> yeah. So that was a hassle. Um, but eventually kind of got that worked out and, you know, called the credit card company and it, it was a, it was a pain, but we got it all figured out and got the plane topped off, uh, and got back on our way. Picked up a little bit more IFR, but our, um, but then crossed, uh, into Montana, which even at 155 knots is a, or 158, I guess we were tr pretty much trued out at. Um, it's a really big state. Just even when you're going that fast. Um, it took a long, long time. And does it all the look mountains. the same underneath you? It, it's, it's quite varied. You know, there's there's about half of it that is very plain. Um, there were parts, though, where we couldn't even see a road. And we could see, well, we could probably see for 60 miles. There were a lot of fires uh, in Canada and in the western part of Montana that were putting up a lot of haze. Um, and it actually got borderline, you know, kind of marginal VFR for a little while. But then it, it kind of lightened up and... and kind of came and went, but most of it luckily blew out of the mountains before we got to the mountains. Uh, and that, that was really great because we wanted to be able to see them rather than hit them. Yeah. What altitude were you at? Um, mostly 7,000 or I'm sorry, 8,000 on the way out. Um, one interesting thing happened. We're, we're motoring along and we're working with ATC. Uh, we're on an instrument flight plan and they're like, so we're going to lose you off of radar and we're going to lose you off of the radio. And Sounds great. so good luck. 
Yeah, use <laughs> the like, force. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this that's new. I have not been on an IFR clearance without radar or radio contact before. Um, but okay, they didn't seem to mind. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't seem to mind. Yeah, you've so, done this before, right? You're just motoring along, you know, on a GPS direct course. I'm not on a Victor Airway or anything like that. And like, hmm. all right. Um, that's fine. She's like, call in when you get to this other airport. And, uh, I called in and they couldn't hear me. And <laughs> some other, uh, plane relayed the traffic, relayed the conversation back and forth. Um, and so eventually I was like, well, I can see the mountains. So I'm, and I'm going to have to cancel. So I, I'm just going to cancel now. And, uh, we, f- we just proceeded on VFR, uh, for the rest of the way. Um, as we got up to the mountains, I put Foreflight into its synthetic vision mode so it would show me the terrain ahead just to have a little backup. Not that we had any visibility problems, but I just wanted the extra the extra backup. I'd also flown the route um, four or five times in X-Plane uh, <laughs> just to make sure that I understood that, you know, okay, I can fly this at this altitude. You know, what if I'm at that altitude? Um, but we motored along through and it was, uh, followed the, the road and the rails. Um, the railroad goes right through that path and, um, it was absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it was, it was completely worth crossing the rest of the state of Montana just to get into, uh, kind of the, the mountains around Glacier Park. Um, and, uh, we motored along and saw, some fires up in the mountains. Uh, it was super, super dry and there were big, big fires up in Canada, like I mentioned. Um, and came out the west end of Glacier Park and got, uh, got a clearance through the, uh, Glacier Park International Airspace. They've got a class Delta airport up, up there and motored along through that without any issue and descended and got ready to land. And we're kind of snaking along through the hills and we finally kind of came across, uh, where the runway was. And it was interesting. We could see the runway really, really great. I'm like, okay, big black strip through a big brown strip. All right. That's it. And I've got it. Everything's loaded up in four flight and loaded up on the GPS and motored along to it. And then the, the approach end of the runway starts to disappear. Because I'm descending below the level where I can see it because of the ridge with the 40 foot high pine trees on top of it. And I'm like, okay, this is <laughs> going to be interesting. <laughs> and we're motoring along and we're getting closer. Um, and I just sent a video, uh, up on the, up on the, the, I just shared a link to a video that we recorded coming in and we get, get up to the trees and I'm like, I've got to get, really, really close to these trees in order for this to all work out. And we're descending in and I've got the, the gear out and everything's ready, you know, configured for landing and, you know, gas undercarriage mixture prop switches and, you know, everything's all set up. And I'm like, I'm really happy that I'm in a Saratoga because I know that as soon as I cut the power, the thing is going to sink like a stone. (laughs) <laughs> and so we get to these trees and we're clearing the trees by not much more than four or five feet uh, off the gear. And, you know, okay, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, there are numbers on this end of the runway. Well, that's cool because I couldn't see them before. They were blocked out by the ridge, 
with all these trees on it. So I cut the power and we sink like a rock and, you know, clear the fence and clear the numbers and land on the runway. And we're like, okay, it's all good. (laughs) We're fine. (laughs) Like, you know, but it's not a super long runway and we're at 5,000 feet and, you know, it's not a hot day, but it's a warm day. Um, but it was fine. And, um, and left a few thousand feet of runway unoccupied and turned off and stayed at a, a resort that is on, on the runway. This is basically a residential air park that has a bed and breakfast on it. Oh. And so, you know, we just taxied over, uh, parked the plane, at, uh, put it at some, they had some tie down lines, you know, parked the plane in front of it. Pushed it, you know, killed the engine, pushed it back over the tie downs, grabbed our gear, grabbed the dog and wandered on in and uh, spent a couple days there. And they loaned us a car and we were hiking around in the mountains and they gave us a can of bear spray that <laughs> I guess you're supposed to spray it on yourself. So you taste oh. bad and the bear don't eat you. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the bears but, are laughing and they're like, we call that salt. Yeah, we call you spicy. Yeah. Uh, so we uh, had a great time. In the middle of that, um, I had to call CanPass, the Canadian Customs Agency, uh, and fi- uh, and let them know about our arrival. So uh, the American system is all done through the web. Uh, the Canadian system is all done over the phone. Um, but it was super easy. Just had to call them up, give them our passport information, told them about the dog, told them where we were going to cross the border and where we were going to land. And they're like, okay, when you, you know, um, they gave, what did they give us? They just said, okay, give us a call when you land. Uh, or if somebody's there, go in and, and clear customs there. Those were kind of the choices. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the American system, they have... Uh, EAPIS is the website and you go in there and you file your manifest and every, all of your information, the, basically the same stuff that the Canadians wanted over the phone, you file electronically. Um, and that was kind of it. So then we're just ready for the next day where we're going to go from the Western side of Montana, you know, across the little narrow strip of Idaho, across Washington state, and then work our way up and cross the border. Um, so kind of like nervous about this. Cause I'm like, okay, don't screw this up. You know, <laughs> really don't want to <laughs> mess up. So get up in the morning, check the weather. Everything's perfect. It's beautiful weather. Should be great the whole way. No problems. Fine. Go on to four flight and per the instructions on the AOPA website, which has a great section on flying in and out of Canada. Um, by the way, your, uh, your basic med won't work there. Uh, you need a class Ooh, three, yeah. class three medical at least for now. I think they're, they're same thing out. for Mexico. Yep, same thing for Mexico. Um, but uh, so AOPA said, you know, you file an ICAO flight plan. You don't fly a regular VFR flight plan because that's a U.S. construct. You file the international one. And by the way, we're switching to all international flight plan, all, all ICAO flight plans anyway. And so you might as well just file that. So okay, you know, I file it. Per AOPA, I go into ForeFlight and do all the magic and um, get the plane ready to go. Activate the plan, flight plan in ForeFlight. It says, "Great, your plan, flight plan has been activated. 
Again, this is VFR. And we depart out of Cabin Creek um, and 97 Mike Tango uh, after using yeah, a lot more runway than we used to arrive. But, but we got out um, and uh, climbed up to 8,500. Uh, I had I had an O2 cylinder that I purchased, so we put on our little cannulas and uh, we're breathing O2, and that felt really nice. <laughs> dry um, though, right? It's super dry, um, but it we could definitely make we could tell the difference. And I had a pulse oximeter, and I could watch my pulse rise back up to. Um, I think I got it into the lower 90s, where it was it on the ground. It was 95, and in the air, it without oxygen, it was. At 8,500 feet, it was in the low 80s, and with oxygen, it got back up into the low 90s. So I was feeling okay about that. <clears throat> um, we had to dodge around these firefighting TFRs that were all over the place, uh, and we crossed uh, the Campbell Mountains, headed west, and went and uh, called up Boise Radio to give a position report. Just say, you know, hey, this is where we're at. And I don't know about you, but I haven't filed a lot of VFR position reports in my time. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I studied up on that ahead of time and I'm like, okay, this is remembering like how to find it on the chart and, and all those kinds of things. Cause that's not a thing I've had to work with, worry about. And the guy's like, yeah, so your flight plan isn't going to work at all. Um, Canada cannot handle an ICAO VFR flight plan. So they won't know that you're coming. Um, <laughs> and, and I forgot to put can pass in the remarks, uh, which apparently is a big requirement that helps them under, that helps the FAA pass the, the flight plan on to Canada. So he had to completely refile my flight plan as a domestic FAA flight plan. And then he gave me a squawk code, but he said, don't use it until you get close to the border. Whatever oh, that's that, weird. Whatever that means, right? So I'm not on flight following because I'm not in radar contact because I'm in the mountains. Um, and we're flying mostly over them, but, you know, occasionally we're kind of getting closer to passes and things. Um, so no radar means no squat code. Um, so we, we keep motoring along, you know, kind of fat, dumb, and happy, and we're cruising over Idaho, and we're going over all these north-south ranges. It's unspeakably beautiful. I mean, it's well, just it's completely kind of, gorgeous. Which I think is kind of funny that they lose you on on uh, on radar at that altitude. Well, it's because the mountains are close to that altitude. I get you know, Okay. You know, there's mountain peaks all over the place that are yeah. that high or higher. Okay. Um, and so uh, I was talking with Mike Hart of the yeah. Airplane Owners Podcast and Pilot Journey Podcast and yeah. and the like. And he's like, yeah, no, if you're below 12,000 feet, you don't get radi uh, radar contact. That's kind of the limit. I was like, okay. Um, so, you know, we got it all straightened out. We got our domestic flight plan. We got a new magic squat code. And... Um, kept filing position reports, you know, Hey, okay, we're here now. If we, if we don't show up on the other end, you know, <laughs> if this is where, this is where you can start your search. Um, and then we got to TWISP, which is a little airport and town at the Eastern edge of the Cascade mountains in Washington. And this was going to be the place where we we're going to get closest to the ground. Um, and there's a, there's a TWISP pass 
that you can fly through that is well below the peaks, but it it gives you uh, two thousand feet. You can get at you can pretty easily get two thousand feet of clearance. It's also over a wildlife refuge, so or a national park, so you have to be two thousand feet above it. Um, and so we start working our way up toward Twist Pass, and I can see ahead that there's that all of a sudden there's clouds that were not forecast, and the clouds are up at the peaks. Um, so we climbed. Uh, the Saratoga up to 10,500 feet, which put us above all of the clouds and most of the peaks, but made it a little bit, you know, nervous because it's like, eh, okay. So in order to keep along, we, we kept kind of to the, to the course over the valleys, even though we were well above, uh, well above the terrain. And then we cut some corners where we could uh, where we could glide to safety if uh, if the engine quit, um, and then we gave one more permit uh, position report on the western side of the mountains, and then we got a frequency for ATC, um, and we got handed off about three or four times in the span of five minutes while they decided which sector we should be in, and then they gave us an altitude and said, "Okay, start, you know, start on your way." Uh, and gave us a vector. And so now we're transitioning from flying really high over the mountains to flying not so high over water, over, you know, 45 degree water. So, okay, pull off the oxygen gear, put on life jackets and, um, talked about what we would do if we had to ditch, you know, how do we, how would we get out of the plane? How would we get the dog out of the plane? All that kind of stuff. Um, finally got handed over to Canadian ATC into the Vancouver, it's called a CZ uh, for control zone. And it's kind of like a class Bravo or a class Charlie airspace. Uh, it was super easy. Uh, the only oddness was they use decimal instead of point when they're talking about frequencies. So it's, you know, one, two, three, decimal, four, five, which it didn't throw me, but it was just an interesting note. Yeah. Um, heard some phraseology like that before. <laughs> so I had purchased the four flight Canadian charts ahead of time. Uh, and so I had the Canada VFR and IFR and approach plates all loaded and ready to go. Um, and they've, but they vectored us all the way to Nanaimo, which is probably 90 miles up the coast on the Eastern coast of the Island. And they've got a non-towered there, uh, non-towered, airport, but it has a, a terminal, which is kind of like having a flight service station on the field, except that they're, they can't give you clearances for takeoffs and landings, but they can give you advisories. Um, so it's for a kind of busy airport, but not one busy enough to have a tower. Um, it, so I had never worked with this at all. So I was like, what is this magic? Um, and I hadn't read about it either, but it was easy enough to work with. They had an ATIS um, that you can either pick up or not, and it'll save you a little frequency time if you call in with the ATIS, but it, you don't have to. Um, they'll give you the ATIS information over the radio. And then there's a CTAF, and you talk to Nanaimo Terminal, and they give you traffic, but they don't give you a landing clearance. They're just like, yeah, there's a plane in front of you. it's kind of up to you what you want to do Um, how do you want to handle that yeah how do you want to handle it 
So then we land, uh, which was uneventful, thankfully, and get directions on the ground to customs. But they gave us, which was an interesting experience. So they gave us the wrong directions, but eventually we straightened that out. And we stop the plane and we park. Now, when you clear customs in the United States, they're very explicit. You do not get out of the plane. Like people you wait for guns. them to approach them. Approach yes. you, I mean. People with guns come out if you come out of the plane before they've granted you permission. So, okay, no problem. And in Canada, things are a little more laid back. Yeah. Uh, in Canada, they're like, if nobody comes out, um, just call the phone number. And it's so, okay, kind of wait around. Nobody comes out. Grab my phone. Call the call can pass the same number. Hit the same buttons. Um, you know, working my way through the telephone tree, um, <laughs> and get put on hold. Finally, somebody answers. I'm like, hey, I don't know if this is the right thing, but I, I arrived. I'm in your country. <laughs> we're here. Yeah, we're here. And they're like, okay, where are you? And I'm like, I'm in Nanaimo. You know, you can close my flight plan. And like, okay, um, here's a number. Write this down. And they gave me some number. It wasn't a phone number. It was some, like, ID number. And they're like, keep track of that. I'm like, oh, okay. And that was it. That was customs. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't see anyone visually? No one searched your goods? No, no one did sign didn't any talk, paperwork? Didn't talk to a soul. Didn't no one looked sign at anything. a passport? Nobody looked at a passport. They just took our word for it that we that the passports that we called in were the people that were on the plane. Okay. <laughs> Um, and then we had to find parking, which was a bit of a challenge, but we ended up parking at the Nanaimo flying club, which is just some private club on the airport that has this beautiful facility right on the, um, facing the runway glass windows that face it and a pool table inside. And, you know, um, it's just a phenomenal club. Um, and they have their own gas, which was also really handy. Um, so we parked there. And didn't even have to tie the plane down. The weather was perfect the whole time we were there. Had a great time, uh, and that was kind of that was kind of the trip in. Uh, learned a lot, you know. Had to spend a lot of time planning and learning about U.S. customs and Canadian customs, and you know, you have to file to leave the United States, and then you have to file to get into Canada, and you know, there's some amount of complexity, and there's a lot of you know. Don't you want to follow the the rules or or bad things will happen? You know, you don't want to be confused for somebody running drugs is kind of the kind of the hidden message that's not so hidden. Um, and but it all turned out fine. Uh, AOPA's website gave a lot of great information and gave a lot of guidance. And I did, like I said, a ton of preparation. We had to buy O2, an O2 system. We had to buy Mutt Must for the dog. We had to buy life jackets. We had to, you know, get a lot of things prepared to make it easy. But all of that preparation really paid off quite well. You know, we never got caught sort of behind the airplane, as it were. Um, and that was kind of the trip in. Uh, the trip home was was also fairly uneventful. Um, and it, it was, it was pretty, pretty easy, except for again, weather back in the twin cities, um, ended up spending the night in this 
god awful <laughs> at this god awful airport in the middle of nowhere, North Dakota, because the weather it was getting it, it was getting long. We'd been flying for a good eight hours, and oh, wow. and the weather at in Minneapolis was bad. It was like it was flyable, like I could shoot an approach into Crystal, but I was tired. I didn't have a ton of fuel. I was legal IFR, but I didn't have a ton of extra fuel. And if it went down, I was gonna I was gonna have to go somewhere else. You know, mm. it was it was just above minimums. And I was like, you know, I think we'll just spend the night at an airport. So what airport? Well, I don't know. I'll pick one. And I kind of was working with ForeFlight and looking at AirNav and trying to find a place that we could stay that where we wouldn't have to try to spend an hour trying to find a hotel and check in and all of that nonsense. And so I'm like, well, this place has a pilot lounge. And we went there and it was it was kind of a disaster. <laughs> But, but we were safe and we were on the ground and, um, there was a pilot lounge. It was like an old retired sectional couch, uh, and an old CRT style television. Um, and the whole outside, yeah, the whole outside of the airport was covered with mayflies because there's a mayfly hatch happening. What? So there were easily 50,000 mayflies flying around the lights. Fantastic. (laughs) Just literally piled up on the ground. Oh, <laughs> so yuck. I wasn't a hero exactly for putting all this together, but, but like I said, we were safe and on the ground. And the next morning mm-hmm. we departed IFR and made the last couple hundred miles home. Um, and just I had an absolutely great time. Um, oh yeah. We cleared customs back in Bellingham, Washington, uh, which was super easy um, you know, again, I was super worried that they were just going to shoot me <laughs> out of the sky or once I landed. Uh, interesting thing that they have to do, Customs and Border Patrol, when you land <clears throat> in the United States, they have to scan your plane for radioactivity. Whoa. And that's the very first thing they do. Okay. They're like, okay, get out of the plane. And there's a dude that just scans the entire plane with a little sensor that's a like a Geiger counter, like a Geiger counter that he's holding like an inch off of the body of the plane. And he goes all up and down the wings and up and down the fuselage and the empennage and just checking everything out and make sure that your plane isn't radioactive for whatever reason Okay, that is. Um, but we went into the customs building loaded with passports and aircraft aircraft registration and my flight certificate and medical and all of this stuff. They looked at the passports and that was it. And you don't even have a stamp on there or anything that you went to Canada. Right. Cause I never saw a Canadian customs officer. And there's no, there's no proof you were in Canada. No, there's a lot of paperwork. Um, but uh, but that was about it. Oh yeah, we peaked out at about thirteen five on the way home. Oh, um, just to to try to get a little bit better wind. But the performance of the plane tapered off so much that I dropped down to eleven five. Yeah. Um, also because my O two levels weren't really where I wanted them to be. They were dropping into like the I think the high sixties. And huh. I was like, you know. I don't need to boost the O2 system. I'm just going to drop down 2000 feet and everything was fine after that. I felt good and everybody was great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, uh, it all worked out, but it was a lot of, a lot of planning ahead. 
um, left me a lot more, uh, kept me way ahead of the airplane, right? All of the work that I did ahead of time of when do we put on our, our life jackets? When do we switch to oxygen? When do, you know, where are we going to land? What does it look like? What's the route meant when we finally executed the plan, it was really straightforward and easy. Um, having being day current, night current, instrument current made a lot of decisions a lot simpler. You know, we could fly into the night, no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, having the right equipment, you know, having ADSB in and out with weather, having the Aspen of uh, 1000 um, was really great to work with, having all that stuff integrated. And it was just such a pretty way to see the the country. You know, there's just so many of those places that you can't see from anywhere other than a light airplane. Um, you know, you're close enough to the ground that you can get details, but you're, but you're far away from any kind of roads. Um, it was, it was really a, an amazing experience. Um, and it, it was about like 17, I think 17.5 hours. Wow. Um, of round trip flying plus another two hours of, I did an aerial tour of the island, uh, with my brother's family. Jeez. Um, and, uh, so it was, it was a lot of distance, um, but it was a lot of fun and it was, it was super, super pretty. Beautiful countryside. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful country, you know, get out and see it. Wow. That's a lot, a lot of flying in a short amount of time too. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a round trip. We spent a, we spent a week and a half out there, um, but it was, it was super, super fun. And it's a beautiful island, by the way. If you haven't been to Vancouver Island, you should totally go. Uh, and if you're crossing Montana and you're flying, you should totally stay at Cabin Creek uh, Bed and Breakfast. It uh, they were really, really great hosts. Yeah, that link you sent, uh, you sent the rooms. The rooms look beautiful. The the uh, uh, cabin looks amazing. That's gorgeous. You have to add, we'll we'll add that little link to the uh, show notes for people to check it out. Yeah. Yep. It's already in there. Awesome. <laughs> well, cool. Well, we've got uh, a little bit more flying to talk about. We're gonna um, we're gonna pause on that and put that on the uh, on the next episode after this, we'll, episode uh, sixty six. Um, one thing we did want to kind of start up though, um, uh, ongoing for future episodes, is kind of kind of talk about if uh, if you were ready to buy a plane today and you had the money um, and it was within your your budget that you could do. What would you what would you buy and why and um, and so we're gonna, we're gonna try try that and see see how you guys like it feel free to let us know what you think about that kind of thing and uh, and and John offered to throw up the first one John you're uh, you're talking about a, a little biplane here a 1977 Great Lakes it's beautiful yeah I went on controller.com and I immediately saw the uh, Great Lakes has two available right now. <laughs> Why, and, why, uh, why would you go down this route? You know, you know, ever since I did the flight with Bill, uh-huh. um, you know, I like that. It was a fun, it was a fun little plane. And I, you know, for the flying I do, I, I don't do, at least right now, I don't do those long trips like across the country. Like I just, uh, can't get my wife to want to really do that. I'm not going to do it by myself. And so Tough with the baby. I'm not allowed to take him up for another. Oh my God. It's only a year. And, I could take him up in a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But like I can only um and one other passenger is good for you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't usually take more than that. Now, granted, now I could probably fit three people into a 172 again because I got a little more useful load. Hey, congratulations on that. Um, yeah, thanks. I'm creeping up to 50 extra pounds. So it's like, what, 45 wow. minutes or so? Excellent. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I could, but I, I really haven't. I've really only taken, usually, I've only done it maybe two or three times I've taken three people and usually it involved kids. Um, so for the type of flying I do, I, I just want to putz around, you know, here and just have some fun. Um, so that's kind of the better mission for me now. And out of the two they had, they had a 99 and then they had the 77 and the 77, I think has a better paint job. It looks like it was redone in 2011. Dude, it looks like it's brand new. Some it's half pictures. the price of the 99. <clears throat> this it's a hundred thousand bucks. It's $99,500. So it's, yeah. it's 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 a lot of money for uh for a, a two place aircraft in my opinion, but it's all about whatever your mission's about, you know. And that this it's a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the thing. Like you know, I could go for a Cardinal or a one seventy two and spend a lot less money, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. You know, if if money was no object and I was able to do it, I think something like this would be a lot of fun. I can't do. You know, I would look at like a Cub for instance, but the problem with the Cub is trying to fly it around here with all of the restrictions of needing a electrical system, right? I'm getting closer into one of the new, like, Kit Cubs or, or something like that, or Super Cub, and at that point I'm, I'm up to this price anyway. You get a Carbon Cub for almost as much money on a used Carbon I, Cub. Yeah, so that's kind of the thing, so... But, those, this, but those have, like, windows. It's true. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Why do you need a window? I mean, why? What's wrong with not having a window? Well, it gets rainy. Well, snowy. <laughs> yeah, I don't, cold. I don't. I don't. I don't need to fly in the the rain in the cold. You know, I don't know. I I liked the open cockpit thing. I think that's a lot of fun. It's kind of nice to have nothing really above you. You kind of sit in there. It feels good. It's got the stick. Um, it's fun to fly. I mean, they're just they're just a blast. You can just have a lot of fun and. Especially, you know, go out and putz around the the Chesapeake Bay around here. I think that would just be, uh, I think that would be a blast. You could, you, you want to start off with your upside down plane? Yeah, why not? <laughs> I've, I've honestly, I've thought, I've, I've thought about doing um, something like that, like a Satabria or Super D or something. Yeah, yeah. those a little cheaper. Um, I think this looks better, but I, I, I've thought about doing that. I've thought about doing some. Um, some aerobatic lessons too. Anyway, around here, um, these are uh, classified as experimental. Is that right? Are they certificate? No, there's Great Lakes is certificated. Oh, okay, so this is something that. Uh, um, well, I was going to say that you could that a that is that a school could own if they wanted to teach tailwheel and aerobatics in. Uh yes, I believe so. Yeah, there. Uh, I know Bill has uh, Bill has a blast in it, um, and we we were just talking um, uh, last week and stuff. I had told him the next time that I'm next Thanksgiving, I'll probably grab a plane and and run down and meet him at Montgomery Field or whatever, and and uh, and have to go for a flight with him in the Great Lakes. Um, it's only like maybe a forty five minute flight from where we're at over there in Pomona. Yeah, I uh, I'm I'm trying to work out the next time I'm going to be out that that way. Yeah. 
and and hopefully with a uh, open airplane checkout so i can actually do some flying myself yeah there's several places down that way that you could use that at that's for sure yeah yeah this plane's gorgeous it uh whoever redone it did a great job yeah i, I don't know that that paint looks good it's got some decent stuff in it yeah that particular aircraft is lovely the same same exact planes and barnstormers yeah I, that's where i thought you got it from i went back i was like oh no it's controller i, gu- I guess these people whenever they sell their plane they probably throw it on three or four of these sites at once. yeah everywhere but i mean uh you know 456 hours ain't bad either uh, no. it's overhaul and then it's only got 1700 total yeah that's right like, you don't pour hours on those yeah no like you say, you don't use them for traveling. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I do. No cool. Way to put the dog. <laughs> um. See, like I said, I don't need to fly with the dogs because the one <laughs> is crazy, and then the other one would just freak out the whole time. So you go upside down; <laughs> that'll calm them down. She doesn't even like. I, I took her out for a run this morning, and she was a little, you know, scared of me at first. <laughs> I like that the avionics is an ICOM handheld radio. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? Yeah, but it's got a Garmin 296 color portable GPS. Right. <laughs> yeah, but the key thing there, right, is it's got the transponder. Yeah. It's but legal. it doesn't have ADS-B. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, you know, at this point, you could get stuff cheap enough. I mean, hell, they made one at uh, Oshkosh that you could throw into a strobe light. So, yeah, that looks really cool. Yeah, I was just going to say... The the uh, um, technology advancements in ADSB and making them cheaper and smaller and easier to uh, install. I mean, wow! I, I wonder how many people who jumped right in on in the beginning and paid those big bucks, the ten and fifteen and the twenty thousand dollars for their new solution, are somewhat kicking themselves now. I mean, because there's not that weight that they said was going to be. You're like, well, first off. The majority of the fleet still doesn't have them in there, so we don't know what's going to happen about that. But, but uh, at this point, I thought they said that you pretty much weren't even going to be able to get in line at an avionics shop and get anything put in because it was all going to be taken up by people getting their ADSB put in for that last year or so. But you know, it's not 2019; it's 2018. Yeah. Well, 17. But I mean, all you really need in that case is an out solution. Yeah. Because um, you don't have anything to put it into and. I love that strobe strobe light idea. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I have the flight box, so realistically... Um, yeah, you already got the end. This plane probably doesn't have strobes, though. <laughs> What's that on this, top of its real t- rear tail? It's got to have yeah. a motor. It's got to have a light for the beacon. Yeah, it's a beacon. But it uh, doesn't need to be rigged for night. I don't know, regardless. The, I mean, the ADS-B solutions are, you can fit them almost anywhere at this point. That's cool. And it's in Illinois, so you could probably pick it up this time of year for cheap. <laughs> wear, all your, wear all your winter clothes at once coming back. <laughs> yeah, flying at home is another matter, but... Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, what else? What else? Uh, anybody got any, any uh, new uh, aviation toys lately? I am toyless. Um, I mean, other than having a new oxygen system, a pulse oximeter, uh, inflatable life jackets, uh, <laughs> does that count? Sure, yeah, you whatever. Got a list going on there. <laughs> hey, you know, I, one thing I saw the other day when I was looking at, because uh, I was playing around with my flight box, 
um, my ADSB mm-hmm. Raspberry Pi solution because um, I'm using it at work to to test out some stuff. We're trying to use it to ingest some data into our system. Um, but I was looking at it, and it turns out they have a uh, um, that there's a way to use the GPIO ports on the Raspberry Pi and to get um, uh, carbon monoxide onto it, so you can get a sensor into your um, flight oh. box. Yeah, that'd be pretty easy. There's there's not many sensors that aren't available for that Raspberry Pi as far as plugins. It seems like it seems like someone's made one for everything that'll yeah tap into one of those leads on there for some reason or another. But that's but a good that's idea though. I think would be nice because I I don't have one yet, and I know I've I've looked at the one that I know Brad had mentioned like many 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 episodes ago. Well, many years um, ago, not so many. Episodes. Yeah, years ago. <laughs> the uh, well, you know, one episode a year or so. Yeah. Whatever. It's about equal. Um, it adds up. <laughs> Both of our listeners were complaining on Twitter. But anyway, yeah, I remember. I remember you mentioned that, and I yes. never. Um, it's still and it's still a great unit. Yeah. So that's one of the, the little things. The pulse oximeter reminded me of that. It's one of the things I gotta get. Um, I don't fly high enough to need a pulse oximeter, but I used i i, I bought i I bought one for our Oshkosh trip that Franz and I flew uh, a couple of years ago, you know, and, and we were, we were at 17.5 for a good portion of that flight on oxygen, of course. So I, I only hit like 8,000 if I really, really, really want to, like I have <laughs> to really want it badly. <laughs> You're definitely not dodging anything to get up there uh, for no. the reasons of getting up there, I should say. Yeah, and you know, I, I did a trip recently. We we drove down to Tennessee, and I was kind of like looking there because I I debated for a little bit, like getting current and seeing if I could fly down there. Um, but you know, looking at that, it's like you know the highest peak I really got to worry about is like four thousand. <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah. between you... me and Tennessee, the highest thing I have to worry about is uh, downtown Minneapolis. <laughs> you had yeah. to clear clear them, huh? Uh, yeah, around here it's it's pretty much the towers. A couple a couple thousand foot towers, and that's about it. Yeah, watch for towers and balloons along your way, and that's probably about it. No uh, no cumulus granite like out here. Yeah, no. Well, you know they got rid of the uh, they got rid of the the big. Uh, well, once one of them ran away, those big blimps that were up at uh, Aberdeen oh, yeah. grounds. That was hilarious. So, <laughs> there's there's not even any balloons around anymore. Yeah, that was hilarious. I remember that. That was that was a few years ago or something, wasn't it? Uh, too. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Are we uh, are we good for for this this year's we're, podcast? I'd say I'd say we're ready to fork it and uh, and uh, we will uh, get it edited and uh, out there. This might be next year's podcast. No, we, we can do it. No, we okay. can do it. You know why? You know why? I have a Mac at work now. <laughs> and I can do work from home occasionally. Does that help? Actually, yeah, I, I have a lot more I have more and less flexibility at the same time. So you know what? I have I have the ability to keep it on my list now. Get cool. it out there. All right. Well it's been uh it's been great guys. Looking forward to um doing the next one real soon. We'll schedule, um, we'll schedule it after we're done recording. Let's do it. Yeah, I think uh, Mark. Uh, Mark unfortunately had to leave uh, partway through this uh, this podcast, so uh, he won't be here to say goodbye. But um, Mr. Conway, you want to start us off? Finish us off. Start off the goodbyes. This is the beginning of the end. What was there that thing? Okay, that's the title.
<laughs> the beginning of the end. Uh, that might scare them all away. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them. Yeah, we met him this year at Oshkosh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, any anybody have any shout outs before we go to where you can find us on the interwebs? Uh, I just I have a quick shout out to uh, to Bill Rote, who uh, again I saw this uh, this past um, week and a half ago, I guess now, um, and uh, and uh, Keith, uh, Mark's friend, and uh, a few other guys that uh, managed to uh, make it out to uh, California and and do our Catalina flight, which we will talk about on the next episode. And I have a shout out to the Cessna 172 driver who is trying to go north into a 50 knot headwind as I was coming south uh, in the Mooney going 200 plus knots across the ground. <laughs> and it showed up on the ADSB readout as stationary traffic. <laughs> because he was doing Were they like trying to fly backwards. 30. He was going like 30 knots across the ground. And ADSB is like, yeah, I think it's a helicopter. <laughs> That's awesome. Shout out to you, what you 172 driver. You know who you are. You know who you are. He's probably landed by now. <laughs> he, he ran out of fuel and didn't make it past the taxi line at the end of the runway. Oh my gosh. Just sitting in, sitting in one spot burning I'm gas. I'm surprised the one going backwards. We tried that once in uh, Dean's Cessna 140 with a big headwind. Did you do it? Uh, we got. We got single digits for ground speed, but we didn't ever make mm. it backwards. Yeah, the other day it was really breezy. I was like, I probably could have done it today. I don't know if I could have landed it, but I could have at least flown backwards. <laughs> not, not rousing words of yeah. Uh, anything, anyway, any anything else, Brad? Are you good? No, I think I'm good. <laughs> All right. So with that, let me know where they can find us because I'm sure they forgot at this point. Mm. So, Chris start with you uh you can uh shoot us an email and tell us how much you uh, uh appreciate these podcasts that we always have out there for you the content is amazing i'm sure uh shoot me an email at chris at in the pattern podcast.com uh, i'm usually on that twitter ma- twitter machine at uh, c holub az that's c-h-o-l-u-b-a-z and brad uh, you can reach me at brad at inthepatternpodcast.com. You can find me on the Twitter machine at Brad Kane. On uh, Facebook, you can find me there, too. And, of course, Kane is spelled Kilo Oscar Echo Hotel November. Just like it sounds. And for me, you can find me at john in the pattern podcast.com and pretty much anywhere on the internet at Pilot Conway. I've uh, been on Twitter a lot more now that I can have my phone with me at work, so that's been nice. <laughs> um, so hit me up there. I'm paying attention now. Uh, so you can reach all of us uh, if you'd like to uh, podcast at in the pattern podcast.com or on Twitter's in the pattern or uh, go ahead and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash in the pattern podcast. Uh, show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found on our website in the pattern podcast.com. Uh, go ahead, send us any suggestions, comments, critiques. We'd love to get feedback from our listeners. And if you take a chance and just give us a review on iTunes, uh, that would be appreciated as well. So with that, we'll wrap up episode 65 of the In the Pattern podcast. I'd like to thank y'all for listening. And remember, make left traffic. You're cleared for the option.
Uh oh. More barnstormers. No, don't make me buy money. Spend That's money. I want. Buy money. Spend money. You can buy money. I wish I could buy money. A bonanza with a Garmin 500. Interesting. ITPP6. What's with the like plushy seats? That's eh, old stuff. One of the ones that sheepskin on it. One of the 172s we have um, that I fly has that, but it's like the covering over top of it, and it's never in the right spot. It's just annoying as hell because it keeps like it slides around. And... Yeah, it's awful. I hate it. This this thing's a P model, a P uh, P35. Yeah, I, yeah. The S is the one that I was that I Dude, would pick. Yes, I agree with you 100 percent. After researching bonanzas and price ranges, uh, you know, for and they're cheap. <laughs> well, what's the cost of this one? This one's sixty nine thousand five hundred. Wow! Now, what's the cost to run it? <laughs> I mean, they're a they're a fourteen gallon. This thing's got an IO four seventy in it. Yeah, that's like a two yep. six, two hundred and sixty five horse. This is uh, got a Garmin five hundred with WAS on it. Uh, Garmin seven ninety six with XM. An S Tech fifty um, autopilot with altitude hold. Nice nice, nice autopilot. Yeah. It's got um, 80 gallons of fuel, 1,112 pounds of useful load, which I like. A portable 1100 AC. 1,100 pounds of useful load? Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. I kept, I kept there's thinking this. like pouring 100 gallons of fuel into an airplane, I got to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Except <laughs> the, doing it the five thrill. times. A couple, couple credit card call. Uh, oh, my gosh. As you uh, as you're filling up, you're on the phone with your credit card company asking them for a, a, an increase on your credit on your limit. Yeah. <laughs> What's my daily maximum? I'm allowed. Is, is there one? Because I may try to test it. 